Yeah, it's been a great honor to get to know some of you this weekend. We had a great time yesterday uh, out at, I don't know what it's called, Wonderland or was it Wonder something? Was it? Is that what it's called? Wonder Valley? Yeah, it was great. It was beautiful. Good hangout. Friday night we were back there uh, ministering to the leaders and just being able to unpack some great ideas about what a healthy church is, what a healthy church does. And so it's been great. It's been great to be with Becky and with Brian at their house and and just be able to uh, hang out with them and almost get to know them all over again because it's been so long since we've seen them. And so it's great. And I also wanted to, I, the, the first service, I forgot to even show my family. I got onto this uh, teaching and preaching and sharing stories that I get. So I have a picture of my family. This is my uh, my wife, Kim. We've been married for 25 years. My daughter, uh, Janelle, she is going to be 23 in December. And she's down in, uh, she's in Portland, uh, Bible College in Portland, Oregon. And then my son, Jared, just turned 20 uh, on September 16th. And so this is my family. And they, my wife said, make sure you greet everyone on my behalf. So my wife greets you on behalf. And if you could just say hello back to her, I'll take that, put it in my pocket and share that with her later. OK, so this is my family. I'm blessed to have a beautiful family. Um, I'll share, share a little bit about my story. So why does that make sense? Well, I've been married to the same uh, woman for 25 years. We dated for three. So we've been together for 28 years. And in my family, that's more than a miracle. Uh, I don't know what comes after a miracle, but that's what it is. My biological mother was married three times. My biological father was married five times. And so, therefore, they had seven children between them. And I have another brother named Justin. So I guess my biological father liked that name. He just didn't want to stick around and be a father. So I grew up in a, I tell people, we don't really have a family tree. We have a family weed because it's just all over the place. Um, my last name right now is Manzi, but I was actually born Swenson. And my mom lied to me for many years saying that I wasn't adopted, but I was adopted uh, at an early age, and she actually didn't even legally change my name until I was eight. And when she did that, she didn't even do it correctly. And I found out when I turned 18 to get a passport, hey, my real last name is Justin Dean Swenson. You've been telling me for years it's Justin Brent Manzi. What's going on, Mom? The jig is up, you know. And so, but growing growing up, I knew there was something amiss in the simple fact that growing up in a family where there were seven children... My stepfather had four children. My mom had two children. Then they had a child together because my mom got pregnant while working for him. So in that, it kind of was a marriage of convenience. And in that, they brought a lot of hurt and pain to the marriage. And so I grew up in a very uh, dysfunctional. And I know every family is dysfunctional. I know everybody says my family is dysfunctional. You look back and go, aren't we all a little bit dysfunctional? Well, we put the fun in dysfunction. So in that, we were really dysfunctional. And so when I was growing up, even at a young age, um, I knew that my I didn't know it was my stepfather. But at the time, my father didn't like me. He told me often and he physically beat me and emotionally beat, you know, physically and emotionally abused me. So I knew he didn't want me and he would tell me he didn't want me. So I grew up even as in a young age knowing that he didn't want me. 
But at the age of five, my sister, who was three years, one of my sisters that was three years older than me, at that time she was being raped and molested by an older step-sibling. And so she was full of hurt, full of pain, and hurting people hurt people. Wounded people wound people. Loving people love people. Restored people restore people. But wounded people wound people. Hurting people hurt people. So she was hurting because what was happening in her life and she felt no one was protecting her. No one was actually keeping her from experiencing what she was experiencing. The pain and the abuse of what she was going through. So she wanted to hurt me. And she told me at five years of age, I want you to know that nobody wants you. You're not loved. And the reason why this man beats you is because he's not your real father. Your real father abandoned you because he didn't want you. Nobody wants you. Man, at five years of age, that rocked my world. And, and in that, she, can't, she continued to say, you're like a throwaway child. Nobody wants you. You're unwanted. And so at the age of five, growing up in the Midwest and at this time in Sherburn, Minnesota, I walked out into a farmyard and I remember so clearly walking out and, and I remember seeing this silo that caused me just to kind of bring my sight to the, the blue sky. And I, I looked up at the blue sky and I, I raised my hands. I don't know why. I raised my hands as a little five-year-old and I simply said, God, I don't know who my father is. Will you be my father? And at that moment, I felt the presence of God literally come around me as if somebody was actually holding me. I could feel someone holding me. And I heard this internal audible voice that said, from this day forward, I shall surely be your father. And that was an experience that I that I will never forget. And at that moment, I knew three things. Number one, God is real. And number two, he loves me. And number three, he knows me. I'm known and he's going to be my father. And so that radically changed my my outlook on who God was. But I didn't grow up in a nice little Christian home. I grew up in a very dysfunctional and a hurt, very painful, very abusive. And and it was a survivalist. It was like walking in a minefield in your own home. You just never knew when you're going to step on a landmine and every mine and it was just going to blow up and there'd be shrap metal everywhere. And I grew up in in a home where simply I learned how to fight just to survive. I learned how to fight my brothers. I learned how to fight my, well, I just learned how to take hits from my stepfather. I never fought him. Um, but I would take hits, but I would fight my brothers. And because of that, I learned how to fight. Um, I learned how to um, survive in the midst of chaos. And so for me, I was 17 years old. And I had brought a girl that I was dating at that time home, and we were, we had a split level home. So a split level home, you have the stairs go down, stairs go uh, go you know up down here, up down here, but a little foyer in the front there. And I was coming in the door with this girl that I had been dating for a while. My stepfather came around the corner and he said, "What is that trash doing in my house?" Actually, he said a few other words that are not Christian, but so okay. So he said, "Get that piece of trash out of my house," and. My girlfriend at the time knew she should not respond to him, but she didn't know what he would really do and what he was capable. So she said, what's wrong with you? Are you crazy? And at that moment, he came down the stairs and said, you want to see crazy? And he grabbed her by the hair and he slammed her head so hard through the drywall, it knocked her out. And he said, I'll show you crazy. And then he looked at me and he said, now get that piece of trash out of my house now. 
And as I was picking up this lifeless girl that had been knocked out, he began to physically kick me with boots and said, and you can get out of here too. I never wanted you. You're on your own now. So at the age of 17, I'm carrying this lifeless girl. I'm walking out the door and he said, and you can change your last name back to what it was before. I never wanted you. You're never welcome here again. Now, put perspective in this. I was on the AB honor roll student. I was the captain of the wrestling team. I was a first degree black belt. Um, I sports and school were kind of like saved my life. I know some people look back at high school and go, oh, that was horrible for me. It was a home away from home. It was a place that I could actually um, manage. And I hated going home. But at that time, at age 17, I didn't have a home. I was physically kicked out. And so from that point on, I began to live with this friends for a couple weeks, this friend for a couple weeks. And that went on for actually a few months. And during that time, I would sneak back home and load up my duffel bag with clothes and, and different things. And, and then when I was 13... My uncle gave me a Bible. Now, my, my, my uncle probably never even read a Bible in his life. He probably never even opened it. But he thought it was his duty to give all his nieces and nephews a Bible when they turned 13. Which, I'm glad, but it was just interesting. So I had this Bible, and I remember putting it in my duffel bag. And I went back to uh, the place I was staying at the time. It was a friend's house. And, I mean, they were having a party. There was drinking. They were doing drugs, doing all these things. And I brought a Bible, and I just began to read it. And they're like, what are you doing? You don't bring a Bible to a party? And I'm like, why? Like, I don't know. It's just wrong. And I'm like, oh, why? And so I just began to go, God, are you real? And, and I am reading this Bible in front of different people, you know, right in this huge party. And, and now I'm... Um, I actually eventually, just to put this in perspective, after about a few months of that, my mom said, you need to come home and just stay in your room. Just sneak in and sneak out. I'm tired of you living from house to house to house. Um, just sneak in and sneak out. But stop going from house to house. So I, I eventually did go back home uh, in that my senior year. And in that, I at the age of 18, I was going to a dojo, a place where you practice taekwondo. And my top instructor was a man that really reached out to young men and young women to to give them a place of refuge and this man's name was milton lang and he was a little person he was a dwarf and his nickname was sweet and low and so he he was just a man who always embraced me and and always welcomed me and i i never knew he was a christian i, I never knew but he always treated me with respect. He always loved me. And it doesn't matter what I would bring into that dojo. He was always welcoming me. He always believed in me. He always encouraged me. And so one day, after being there for a few years, I'm a first degree black belt at this time. I'm teaching a class at the age of 18. It's April 13th, 1987. I remember it very clearly. I walked. He walked up to me and he said, how are you doing today, Justin? And I said, you know, one of my, my friends and I used to do this slang thing in high school all the time. And we'd go up to each other and say, hey, how you doing? We'd say, I need Jesus. Yeah, I need Jesus too. And it was, but it was slang. It was nothing, you know, religious about it. So that one day I'd gotten so comfortable with my instructor. And he said, how are you doing today, Justin? I said, oh, I need Jesus. And he goes, you do need Jesus. I was like, what? He's like, you do need Jesus. I said, I do? And he goes, yes, would you like to meet him? And I'm like, you, you know Jesus? And he goes, yes. And I'm thinking, not Jesus, but you know Jesus, right? Like, there's a difference between Jesus and Jesus. Like, he goes, no, I know Jesus. I, you know God. And he goes, yes. You know him personally. He goes, yes, I do. Would you like to meet him? Now, at that time, my top instructor actually knew Chuck Norris. So I'm thinking, he does know Chuck Norris. 
Chuck Norris, Jesus. In that world back then, it was kind of like, well, you know, it's kind of almost on the same scale for me. So, and, uh, and eventually I actually got to meet Chuck Norris at one time. Kind of a cool story. I actually went and prayed for Chuck Norris. How many people can say that at one time? Yeah, I laid hands on him and prayed for him. And, and he was, anyway, long story, but I actually met Chuck Norris. That was a kind of a cool story. But anyway, back to this story. Here I am now in this dojo and I'm in this office and he says to me, um, for the first time he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. I never heard the gospel. I knew I had this experience when I was five. I had this Bible, but I never had anyone present to me the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he did for me and what he wants to do for me. And at that moment, he shared the gospel right there in this office. And he said to me, Justin, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? And are you willing to allow Jesus to come into your life? And I was so shocked that Jesus actually wanted to come into my life. I had never felt like anybody wanted me. I never felt like somebody really loved me. That I had to perform to get someone's love. I had to do something to get that love. And here I'm being told that all I have to do by faith is receive what Jesus did for me on the cross. That my sins could be forgiven. And that I could accept his love and that love would actually give me, uh, transform my heart and my life. And I was in awe that I'm like, he wants to do what for me? No strings attached. And so right there in that office of a dojo, I accepted Jesus at the age of 18. It's a powerful moment for me. I walked out onto the sidewalk and I remember looking up to the sky and I once again raised my hands and I just said, God, I, I honestly mean that. I give you my life. If you want my life, I give you my life. And at that moment, it brought me back to when I was five years old. I'm your father. And I'm the father to the fatherless. And it captured my heart. And I got radically saved. I mean radically saved. I would bring 14, 15, 16 Teenagers to church and pastors didn't even know what to do with them. I got radically saved. I would go to those same parties. and I'm like, y'all, we're, you can get high tonight, get drunk tonight, but we're going to church tomorrow. God's going to change your life. They're like, oh, okay, whatever you want to do. And I brought these guys. We would fill the church. You can imagine 14, 16 messed up kids coming into this church and sitting in the front row. We had pastors going, I don't know what to do with these kids. And people are looking around going, is this allowed? Is this allowed? And I saw my friends get radically saved. And so I, I, I didn't, this was real to me. I had gone from being rejected son to an accepted son. I had come from this place where nobody wants you, where the God who created the heavens and the universe wants me. Sometimes we take for granted what God has actually done for us, what Jesus has actually done for us, and what he's actually given to us. And people would say to me, don't worry, after a few years, that passion will kind of wear out. Well, it's been over 30 years and I'm still just as passionate because it changed my life. Amen. So for me, I remember in those years of just God, I want all this. What was only a little while after I remember being in uh, my pickup, being in a parking lot. And I said, God, I had brought my Bible and I, I said, God, I just want all that you have for me. And the, the Holy Spirit whispers to me and said, you, you want all that I have for you? And I'm like, yes, I'll do anything. I'll do anything for you, God. 
He said, okay, forgive your stepfather and your biological father. And I said, no, almost anything. I'll do almost anything for you, Lord. But not those two things. They can go to hell for all I care. And I hope they do go to hell. The pain that they've caused me, the rejection I've experienced, the abandonment that I've experienced, the abuse that I've experienced, they don't deserve my forgiveness. And I'm not going to forgive them. And I just said, God, that's your job. Your job is to forgive. Your job is to love. It's your job description. Love people and forgive people. That's what you do. And God just whispered to me. He said, do you want to follow me? I said, well, I want to follow you. He said, well, that's now your job description. You love people and you forgive people. I'm like, I will. Except those two people. So I'm willing to do everyone, anyone, but not those two people, Lord. And I had my Bible, and who knows why it was open to Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. But at that moment, I'm reading it, and it says this. If you forgive those who sin against you or trespass against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive those who sin against you or trespass against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. And I remember reading that for the first time, and I honestly said, we need to remove this from the Bible. This has got to be removed somehow or another. This page has got to be ripped out, even though the Lord's prayer is right above that. But somehow or another, we're going to have to do something here because I'm like, this, this can't be God. Now, think about that. When you have unforgiveness towards somebody, you're keeping God from forgiving you. That's hard for us sometimes. But at this point at 18, I'm reading this. I'm like, God, you have to forgive me. I am messed up. Without your forgiveness, I can't find freedom. He's like, that's right. So you hold the back. You hold that back. You hold the cards. You hold the keys to your own freedom. Do you know how many people that are in prison right now and they're behind bars in their own life, at their own home? This is only the one bar I have, but imagine many other bars. <laughs> And you're holding on the bar and go, I want out of this place. I want out. And God's like, you actually have the keys to unlock the door. No, no, I'm not going to use those keys. I just want you to open the door. They're in your pocket. And there are people in their own home in prison. I know people that have still hold unforgiveness towards people and they've actually passed away. And they still control them to this day because of what they, what took place in their life. I mean, they're already dead, but they are still keeping that person in bondage. Now, I'm not here to say that forgiveness is easy. Because at that moment when God spoke that to me to forgive my stepfather and my biological father, it was one of the most difficult things. In fact, I resisted it. And I said to the Lord, I don't feel like forgiving them. And the Lord said to me, it's not a feeling, it's a choice. You'll never feel like forgiving them. But it's a choice. And I wrestled through that throughout almost the whole night till finally I felt like I broke and I made a choice to forgive. And I said, I forgive. And the moment I began to do that, the Lord just said to me, now release 
the things that were done to you. And I started having these memories of the, the physical abuse, being knocked out at times, woken up in the middle of the night, getting thrown around the room, and, and just different violent things that were done to me, things that were said to me, plates that were thrown at me, ashtrays that were thrown at me, boards that I was knocked out with. I mean, all these images of of, of hurt and pain. And I just began to weep and weep and weep. And I, I released it all. And I just said, I release what happened to me. And man, I had a headache. I had like, I felt like I couldn't cry no more. And I had done all of that. And the Lord just said, now I want you to pray for them. And I'm like, pray for them. And I just, I just forgave them and released what they did to me. I pray they get struck by lightning. I pray that they get run over. I forgave them. I released it. But no, 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 I'll pray a prayer right now. And the Lord's like, no, no, you got to pray for them. And that was hard for me. But I noticed as I began to pray for them, I actually began to have empathy. And God began to show me why they were so wounded why they were so angry, why they were so rejected. And I'd never seen that. I'd only seen my own hurt. I'd never seen the hurt that they had experienced. But God was revealing that to me as I began to pray for them. And then the Lord spoke to me. After that, He said, now bless them. Bless them. Pray that they would be blessed. And that was hard. But I realized as, I, as the Lord was taking me through this process... That's what Jesus did for us, that he died on the cross for us. He forgave our sins even before you asked for them, didn't he? Come on. He forgave your sins before you even asked for them. He died. He actually has. When we ask for forgiveness, he separates them as far as the east is to the west. And then it says that right now he sits at the right hand of the father. And what is he doing right now for you? He's praying. He's interceding. But not just when you became a Christian. He doesn't just start praying for you when you become a Christian. He's praying for you when you are lost, when you are rejected, when you're alone, when you're isolated, when you're being held hostage to the rejection and the pain that you've experienced. He's praying and interceding when you're actually going against Him, when you're actually going against what He believes. He's praying for you. That's amazing. I mean, it's easy to pray for somebody that you... Love, isn't it? I mean, if, if, if Josh is like, oh, I just, oh, Pastor Justin, I think you're amazing. I'm like, let me pray for you. <laughs> and I'm praying for him. And then the Lord says, pray for, for Tad, but he hates you. He actually doesn't like you at all. And I'm going, oh man, I just pray lightning would find. No, but I, but I have to pray for him and bless him even as maybe he doesn't like me. That's hard, isn't it? It's, it's easy to love lovable people. It's, it's hard to love unlovable people, right? Well, it's hard to, you know, it's easy to forgive somebody that you love and you just kind of mess up. But when, when they actually, there's tension and anger and bitterness and resentment. But that's what Jesus is showing us, that if we can forgive those people, it's the key that releases us from that prison of hurt and pain. And then to bless them, wow, to bless and for my life, even in that season, my dad didn't call me up the next day, my stepfather, or even, I didn't even know where my biological father was at that time. They didn't call me on the phone like, no, I just love And it wasn't like I was in a wheat field the next day running across this wheat field, and we're running and we grab and hug and, oh, I love you, I love you, and what an amazing, and it wasn't like that at all. It was the opposite. 
I felt that my stepfather actually became worse. More abusive on the phone. I wasn't there, but he would call me. He would call me on the phone and just call me every name you can think of. And I would hang up the phone. I'm like, why are you calling me? And I would forgive him again. Forgiveness is a process. Yeah, it might start with a choice. It might start with releasing it and praying a blessing, but it's, it's a process. I want to say to you that probably for the next few months, thoughts would come up and I would say, God, I release it. I forgive. But if we don't, unforgiveness is like a rock. Sometimes it's like a boulder and you carry it in your bag. And, and if you can imagine, Crystal, I'm going to use your bag right here. I won't put any, take anything out of it, just so you know. I've done that before and that didn't go very well. Um, the reality is, is if, if I have a bag and every time somebody hurts me, every time somebody hurts me, it's like they take something and they put it in my bag. Get in there. And so I go through life and then pretty soon what happens is somebody hurts me again and, and I take it and I, I put it in my bag. And pretty soon my bag gets heavy. It's like my spiritual bag, my spiritual backpack. And every time somebody hurts me, I just take it and I put it in there. And it can be a big rock. It can be small rocks. But I want you to know even the smallest pebble. How many of you have ever had a little rock in your shoe and you're walking like, ow, 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 ow. And you take your shoe off and you're thinking it's going to be this big rock and it's just a tiny little pebble. And you're like, what? This is what's keeping me from walking right? This little pebble? Yeah, that's right. That little unforgiveness will make you walk with a limp. It'll keep you from walking right. And we have to learn how to take those things. But what happens is this gets this gets weighed down. And every time somebody every time somebody hurts me, I take that and I I put it in my backpack. And so that when people say to me, what's wrong with you? Why are you so angry? Why am I so angry? Because of this. This is why I'm angry. People are throwing things at me. They're throwing words at me. And so what we tend to do is when your backpack and your bag gets full, you actually try to get rid of it. So you start taking things out and you see something you're like, you know what, this is what I think about you. And you start throwing it at people. And they're like, oh my goodness, you crazy. And then we start throwing it at other people like throwing it at you. And the people are getting hit. And then I take this bottle and I throw it out there. I sweet you out, didn't I? Okay. <laughs> so, but I, I start taking these things out and pretty soon I just start throwing unforgiveness around everybody. Just throw it out at everybody. And, and now it's kind of cool because I feel like my bag got lighter. And I'm like, wow, I feel, man, I feel better. <laughs> wow, I feel, I feel good. I feel good. But people are hurt now around me. And now they're holding those things. They're like, oh, yeah. And imagine now people start throwing those things back at me. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, what I do is I take it and I put it back in my bag and people start throwing these things back at me. And pretty soon my bag gets full again. So what do I do? I throw it back at people. And before I know it, we're throwing rocks at each other. But what I have to do is I have to come to a place where I take my bag there might be some extra things in there. I don't know. <laughs> but I take my bag and I, I actually have to come to the cross. I have to come to the cross. And I have to empty that out at the cross. And when I empty it out at the cross, I pick up. 
I don't know if I'll be able to do this. I take, I take what was on, on the cross, I take it off, and I take the love, listen to this, I take the love, the forgiveness, the peace, and I actually wrap it around myself. That I'm covered in the love of God. Imagine this being red. Black's not a very good color, but stay with me a little bit. <laughs> but imagine that I take this love, that it fills me, and it's so overwhelming. Our love is so overwhelming that I take it, and that begins to fill my spiritual backpack. This love that begins to fill my spiritual backpack. Anybody have a scarf or anything that, uh, uh, something that's going to be like a material? Please bring something to church that can help the pastor preach his message. Yes, that's perfect. Thank you. Anybody got something else that would be like a material, a scarf, anything? Come on. Please come to church with props for the pastor. Yes, please, 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 please. So what happens is, all of a sudden... Did somebody throw something at me? Oh, hallelujah. All right, thank you. All right. Okay. Now we're okay. Now we're really going to help out. There we go. There we go. Hallelujah. Okay. So all of a sudden I'm in, I'm at the cross and I'm saying, God, I need your love. I need because he doesn't leave us empty. Come on. We have to empty out our bag, but God never leaves us empty. And he begins to fill up our, our, our spiritual backpack with, with love and joy and peace to the point where it's overflowing. And now my spiritual backpack is full of love and joy and peace. And I begin to go, man, i got to get rid of this stuff. This is amazing. God is just blessing me. And all of a sudden, I'm just throwing things out. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm dispersing God's love. And, and then God really gives somebody something really crazy, the whole family. Okay, so, so the whole point is, is all these things are coming out. And I'm going, wow, because you give out what's in you. You give out what's inside of you. And when God pours His love and pours His joy, it gets overwhelming. We have to disperse of it. What's in your spiritual backpack this morning? What's in it? Are there rocks that you're throwing at people? Or is it love and joy and peace that you've received that you can now give out? What's in your spiritual backpack? I don't know what's on there. I don't know where your stuff belongs. Meet with each other after church and figure that out. I'm trying to bring some unity in the church, okay? So, so I want you to see that when we talk about this, when you forgive somebody, when you release that, you actually have a new beginning. That's your new beginning. That's your new beginning. What I love about the scripture is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Now, just pause there for a moment. Some of you feel like you're living life all alone. Well, you have Jesus interceding for you. Amen. I mean, if you if there's one person you want praying for you, it's Jesus. Nobody's praying for me. Well, Jesus is praying for you. Well, that's pretty good. I hope his prayers get answered. I think you're pretty good on that. I think his prayers get heard. I don't feel like the Lord hears my prayers. Well, Jesus, his prayers get answered. So just take peace in that. But here, it says you're surrounded by such a crowd. Come on, a crowd of witnesses cheering you on. Come on, they're saying, 
You can do it. You can do it. Get up. You're a champion. Run the race. I mean, these people are cheering you on. And in this, it goes on, it says, strip off. Come on. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with an endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of joy awaiting him. He endured the cross. Come on. Disregarding its shame. Now it is seated. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. There are some things we have to strip off that so easily weigh us down. God's asking us to run a race with endurance. Galatians 6, 9 says, um, as we are running this race, do not be weary. Don't let the weariness hold you back. Do not grow weary while doing good things. For in due season, you will reap a harvest if you do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. But we are called to strip off those things. What What is tripping you up? What is weighing you down that's keeping you held hostage? What's keeping your eyes off of Jesus? Now, this is hard to believe. I, I know I talked about some sports I was in, but I was actually in, in track. Now, I'm going to tell you what I ran in track, and you're going to say, that's not true. But I have proof. I dug this picture out just a few weeks ago. That's me. I'm, I'm actually running high hurdles. Now, you might not be able to tell, but I'm barely 5'8". And so in that, if you're 5'8", you do not run high hurdles. Because a high hurdle on me comes up to here on me. That's a high hurdle. Now, imagine me a lot thinner and a lot stronger and a lot healthier. You may have to do that to visualize that. Well, there's the picture. So here I am. I ran high hurdles in high school. High hurdles. Let me, let, some of you aren't getting this. Guys that are 6'1", 6'2", 6'4", run high hurdles. They can three-step it in between the hurdles. I had to either four or five-step it in between the hurdles. I couldn't three-step it. Impossible. And you cannot run under the hurdles. That's actually illegal. I almost could. If I got down at a real low thing, I mean, I was a black belt. I was, you know, a wrestler. I, I could almost run underneath those hurdles. But that's actually illegal. You can actually kick it over, but you can't run over, under it. Well, here I am, and you have to see this. When I would get into the tracks, when I would get into the blocks, and I'd get ready to warm up, they're like, what are you doing here? Seriously? Cross country or sprinting is over there. You are not. These big tall guys are like, you do not run high hurdles. I'm like, I know. I laugh every time I see it too. So here I am in this race. I made varsity in grade nine running high hurdles. Grade nine. Running varsity actually set a track record for high hurdles. Now, what that meant is I had to be very fast and I had to four-step it or five-step it, which means if you four-step it, you have to alternate right, left, right, left, right, left. If you three-step it, you go, one, two, three, right, one, two, three, right, one, two, three, right, one, two, three, right. Or I had to do one, two, three, four, five, right, one, two, three, four, five, right. One, are you getting a picture here? Okay. So you're like, I don't know, higher hurdles. So here I am. I'm at this race. This is a real race. It made the paper. I'm running this race. I'm actually winning the race. And at the last hurdle, 
I did one of the things that you're never supposed to do. I looked behind me to see my victory of how much I was going to win by. And my trail leg hit the hurdle and didn't make it over. Now, I have to jump awfully high in order to be able to do that. So I did a full somersault in the air. Because it cut, imagine, I did a full somersault and I skidded on the, I'm on the track. I was like, and people from the stands were like, get up, run. And I'm like, blood, disorientated. How did I get here on the ground? You know, uh, they're just like yelling at me, get up, run. And I'm like, get up, uh, where am I right now? And, and I remember getting up and I got up and I finished the race and, I got second place still after all of that. But I could have got first. But I took my eyes off the finish line. And I look back. It reminded me when I was in actually in Argentina. How many of you ever been anybody been to Argentina before? Buenos Aires. Okay, well, then I can say whatever I want. You'll never know. So, no, so, so in here I am in Buenos Aires and I'm in Argentina. And just to put this in perspective, when they built Buenos Aires, they prepared, let me put my high hurdle down. Um, they have these, in the, going through the center of the city, they have 22 lanes. Did you hear what I just said? Can you imagine going downtown through Fresno, the old part, whatever, and seeing 22 lanes, 11 lanes going this way, 11 lanes going this way? It's crazy. But they built that going down through the center of Buenos Aires. And they had these beautiful lines. Oh, beautiful lines. But there, in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, those are just called road decorations. They mean nothing. Those lines mean nothing. You just travel. It's like if you've ever been in South America or if you've been to any mission and they have road lines, road lines, you go, those are just road decorations. They mean nothing. And so we're going down some side roads in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, and the taxi guy is taking me, and he's, he's this guy that, he, I mean, he's a crazy, I mean, they all drive crazy in all these countries. I've been to India, I've been to, you know, I've been to Africa, I mean, everybody in there. You see when foreigners come here and start driving? They're not driving crazy, that's just how they learn how to drive. That's just how they learn to drive. Did I touch on some souls right there? Yeah, Okay. Stay with me. It's crazy. They dr- that's how they've been raised to drive. There's no lines. There's no. You just drive. You just drive. It's just getting point A to point B. So as we're driving down these roads, this this taxi driver, I see this bus sticking out, and I see a car over here, and I'm calculating the width of that area, and I'm like, he is not going to make that. There is no way. Now, to show that he had confidence he was going to make it, he actually accelerated the vehicle. And I'm thinking, he's not even slowing down to navigate this. He's actually putting on the accelerator. And I'm going, he's not going to make that. There's no way. There's no, I, I know the width of this car. I'm in the back seat. And as we went through this, the side mirror, bam, just goes flying right off. I mean, it just ripped it right off. He didn't even flinch. He didn't go, oops. I said, uh, um... Hablo espanol porquito, uh, miro gano. You know, like, you know, something just happened in your mirror. He goes, no problem, I get a new one tomorrow. I was like, I'm looking at him going, uh, uh, pardon me, uh, uh, your mirror's gone. I, you know, and he just said to me, he, I said, what, what's the point of having a side mirror? And he said, well, that's how close I know I can get to a vehicle without scratching my car. That's how close I can get. <laughs> so he was like, I was just like, wow. And then I noticed that the rear view mirror was facing down towards the dashboard. 
And I'm thinking, uh, pardoname, <laughs> uh, the Miro <laughs> is pointing down to the dash. And, and he said, yes, see, <laughs> see. And I said, um, how can you see what's happening behind you? And he said, I'm not going that way. I'm going this way. Why do I need to look that way when I'm going this way? And I thought to myself, that's really good. Yeah, that's actually a sermon that could be preached right there. I'm going to share that in Bethany in Fresno one day. And so, so here I am. I'm, I'm seeing this and I'm, I feel like God gave me this revelation that's in Scripture found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, I don't mean to say, this is Paul, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Everybody say one thing. One thing. Take one thing home today. One thing. Here it is. One thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. There are things that have happened in our past, sometimes great things, sometimes horrible things. But if they're still in your present because you, you're being held hostage by those thoughts of what happened to you, by those things that were spoken to you, things that were done to you, if they're still in your present, then they're no longer your past. They actually are your present and they're keeping you a barrier from you to go into your future. If the past always has your attention, how are you able to live for your future? Now, it's hard and it's hard to forget when things have when people have hurt you and betrayed you and abused you. It's, it's not easy just to say, well, you just say you just forget that you don't forget it, but you put it in its proper place. You say, God, I give that to you, because if not, you carry it around in your spiritual backpack. And that hurt will weigh you down. But there's a time where you have to take that and, and you have to put it at the cross and you have to for, forgive and learn how to forget what it is doing to you, lest it keeps you from your future. God has new beginnings for you today. What's your new beginning today? What's your new beginning today? Is your new beginning this very moment where God wants to give you a place where Maybe there's some things that you have to strip off. Things that are slowing you down. Things that are stripped, that are tripping you up. Maybe you're here today and you have unforgiveness. Maybe it's just a small pebble. Maybe it's four or five rocks that are in your backpack. What's keeping you from running the race? What's taking your energy What's keeping you in a place where you're being held hostage? We all walk through things. And here's what I love about God is, according to Romans chapter 8, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. God will never waste your pain. He'll never waste a hurt. He'll use it for His glory if you give it to Him. What I love about God is He's a God that 
He can create something out of nothing. And you might say, I have nothing. And God says, that's the exact ingredients I need to create something. You might say, I I have nothing in my marriage today. Well, those are the exact ingredients that God needs to create something. You might say, I I have nothing inside to offer anyone. Well, give it to the Lord. Those are the exact ingredients that He needs to create something out of nothing. You and I have been called to be champions. Called by the champion himself. His name is Jesus. To run a race that's worth running. To live a life that's worth living. What's holding you back today? What's keeping you from your new beginning? I ask you just to close your eyes for a moment and take a moment of reflection. I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything in my heart? Is there any unforgiveness? Is there anything in my heart that has become like a rock? Maybe it's resentment. Maybe it's regret. Maybe it's abandonment. Maybe it's fear. God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. What's your new beginning today? Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. And you've never given your life to Jesus. But today, you say, that's my new beginning. My new beginning is to accept Jesus. I've heard about Him. And I hear people talking about Him. But I've never given my life to Jesus. And I've never asked Jesus to come into my life and rescue me. If that's you this morning, just slip up your hand and say, you know what, I, I'm here and ready to make that decision to accept Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Is there anyone? Let's just take a moment. Is there anyone that's here and just said, yeah, I, I need to take that step this morning? The next thing I want to ask you is, if you're here today and you know that there's Someone, maybe more than one, people that you need to forgive, or you've been hurt, betrayed, accused, maybe even abused. If that's you today, my challenge to you is to forgive, to release what they did, to pray for them. To bless them. I know it's hard. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. But as you do that, you're going to step into your new beginning today. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you've just been held back because you don't have the courage to step out and run the race that God has put before you. If you need courage today, The Scriptures say, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. For the Lord is going to be with you. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. For the Lord is with you. Take courage. Walk in forgiveness. Experience the love of God. 
Jeremiah 31, 3 says that God loves you with an everlasting love to build you and rebuild you. Receive that today. If you need His love to bring in some healing, receive it by simply saying, God, I receive your love. Reveal it to me today. Father, I pray that these are your sons and daughters whom you love, whom you've called to be champions, to run a race, so that you will receive the glory that you are worthy of receiving. And may we be sons and daughters that take this faith, this hope, and go to where we work and work out this week and go give hope to those in our world so that all will know that you are who you say you are. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for allowing me to share my story, my heart, and this message. Be encouraged.